In Black and White is brought to you by subscribers of The Herald Sun. Our subscribers get access to the full Herald Sun website, including companion articles to this podcast, digital versions of the newspaper and much more. If that's something that interests you, go to heraldsun.com.au slash subscribe for more information. She could actually have a look at somebody and work out the way that their memories have been imprinted on their brains. I'm Jen Kelly and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. In this episode, we go back to the early 1900s, to the story of the charismatic Madame Repra, a so-called mind reader who made a living looking deep into the souls of her customers to solve the mysteries of their lives from career troubles to relationship dilemmas. Her time in Melbourne came to an end after a crackdown by police on the fortune-telling industry, but not before Madame Repra made a complete fool of Victoria's Chief Commissioner of Police. There were two female detectives that were hired by the police to actually oppose his customers in fortune-telling shops, and she was charged along with a whole bunch of them and brought before the court. She was growing up in a world where there was not a lot of freedom for females, but she forced her own niche into that world. During World War I, Madame Repra opened a shop in Chapel Street, South Yarra, and advertised herself as a consulting psychological physiognomist and a character reader of mind and face. Physiognomy was the supposed art of judging character from facial characteristics. She claimed to be an expert in phrenology, a pseudoscience in which bumps on the skull were measured to predict mental traits. She also boasted in ads that she had been consulted for advice by clergymen, barristers, bankers and even members of parliament. To talk about Madame Repra, we spoke to Michael Shelford, a Melbourne writer, historian and the creator and guide for Melbourne Historical Crime Tours. Michael uncovered the bizarre story of Madame Repra while browsing through old police files of the Public Record Office Victoria. He tells us Madame Repra also claimed to be a hypnotist and an expert in telepathy, magnetic healing and psychology. She also believed that she could see mind pictures. So she could actually have a look at somebody and work out the way that their memories had been imprinted on their brains. And using that, she could then give them advice on various aspects of their lives. Okay. And I think there are still advertisements that we can find today that advertise the services that she was offering at the time. So what did she tell people she could do for them? Basically, anything that you thought you might need advice for. So she said with her character reading, which was the main thing that she used to use, she could give you advice on what you should be doing as a career choice, the type of partner you should have. And as far as your children went, what you should be training them to be. So whether or not they're going to be, they should be a janitor or whether you should forget about them being a janitor because they'd be a much better brain surgeon. But she wasn't really what we would think of as a fortune teller, was she? She wasn't really telling the future. She was just suggesting what you should do based on what she could understand about you as you are now. She was very careful about that because fortune telling was considered to be a crime. So it was kind of like considered to be a scam, a way to fool people out of their money. And because people were being sent to prison and receiving large fines when they were proven 
to pretend to predict the future or be clairvoyance, etc. She made it very obvious that, that that was not what she was doing, even though she was kind of on the cusp of it. And so let's take us back. So what, her real name wasn't Madame Repra. What was it and when and where was she born? Her married name was Alice Harper. Okay, and how do we get Repra then? Uh, Repra is just the reverse of Harper. So um, it kind of sounded sort of spooky and cosmopolitan, I suppose. Okay, and was she born here in Melbourne? No, she was born in England and she was kind of like a part of a family that were struggling to get themselves higher in the class system in a way. So they, they always seemed to struggle financially, but they lived as hired help, etc., in the houses of wealthy people. And they just so happened to be hired help in the houses of eccentric, wealthy people, which is where I think she got um, started to get some education in alternative medicines and psychology and that sort of thing. So, so how do we describe her? Was she a confidence trickster? We probably could describe her as such. Um, maybe a reputed confidence trickster without casting aspersions on whether or not she was actually capable of anything, any of the things that she described. The interesting thing that I find is that she usually commanded respect where she went. So even though she was seen by many to be making money out of fooling people, the people seemed to like to be fooled. So maybe, <laughs> maybe they were getting good value for their money. It's <laughs> a great way to look at it. When did she start to realise that she had these special abilities to read people's characters? I think she always felt like she had them. When she first really started to rely on them, I think it was when she was just sick of being a poor housewife, part-time teacher in the hot Queensland weather, going through tough times, and she just ended up opening up a shop, called herself Madame Repra, and began to have visions and hold public speeches and then receive money for giving people advice on their lives. And just stepping back a little bit, so how old was she when she came out from England and settled in, in uh, Queensland? She would have been in her late 20s to early 30s, I believe. So married at that point? She was married. She had a young daughter who we'll probably speak of a little bit later as well. Her daughter ended up becoming a, a famous poet. Okay. And then the family at some point has moved down to Melbourne and she set up her business down here? They were based in Queensland. That was where she first started doing her character reading, etc. Her and her husband always had a very volatile relationship. So she, she was a very creative person. I don't think she was ever really happy with leading a normal, boring life. Her husband didn't earn the sort of money she expected him to earn. He seemed to take the family to places that she found ex- extraordinarily boring. She was kind of like a, a, an eccentric person that wanted to live the fast life amongst bohemians um, and that sort of thing just was not happening for her in small Queensland country towns. And so it caused a lot of friction between them as a married couple and she had other love interests as well, which I don't think helped very much. They split and got back together quite a few times over the years. They lived in Sydney for some time. She ended up making so much money out of character readings, being Madame Repra, that she was able to afford to send her daughter to one of the more wealthy private schools in Sydney, paying £40 a year, which is almost like um, your average person's yearly wages for that era. Okay. She, I think she quite enjoyed the fact that she'd moved from being somebody relying on somebody for an income to finding her own um, place in a world, a man's world, it was back in those days almost forcing her own niche and um, making enough money out of it to actually live the life of a wealthy person. Okay, so was she quite well known then? Was she in the papers? She was well known because she used to advertise a lot in the newspapers and because she advertised in the newspapers that gave her, I think, an editorial as well. And she used to do advertisements whenever she arrived in a town. So she did a lot of touring. 
she'd do an advertisement um, in the newspaper and then she would also um, announce that she was going to be giving a lecture and she would then give a lecture on all these sciences that I listed earlier on today or sciences in inverted commas um, and people would turn up and they'd get the lecture for free. They'd be invited to give a small donation to help with her travel fees but then she would announce that there were a personal appointments available for the next seven days. Okay. And that's where she'd make her money. So it was almost like a, a lecture which was uh, rustling up some business for later. Yeah, and I'm sort of imagining with the lectures, I wonder if she would call someone up on the stage to demonstrate her skills in character reading. I believe that she did. Okay. Yeah. And then how did she end up down in Melbourne and when? She actually went over to Western Australia and set up a real bricks and mortar store, which is something that she hadn't done for a long time. Um, she became very well known there. She was she was so well spoken and charming that apparently she made quite good friends with the chief commissioner of police in Western Australia, because when she arrived in Melbourne, she had a um, handwritten personalised reference, um, or at least she purported to do so anyway. Was it during World War One when she first popped up in Melbourne? She arrived in Melbourne in 1914. She set up her business on Chapel Street. So she had a shop front there. She had a shop front. Okay. And how did the business go? Did she do well? She was doing extraordinarily well, um, but at the beginning of setting up the business, she thought that it might be pertinent to go and check with, with the police in person on whether or not what she was doing was going to be falling within their guidelines of legality. Okay. Um, and this was because of the crackdown on fortune tellers at the time? That's right. And she'd been hounded for it before. She, she knew that um, the business that she was conducted was not always welcome in every town and was seen to be on the, on the edge of that fortune-telling spectre. So she had the audacity to actually request a, a personal appointment with the Chief Commissioner of Police. Okay. And how did that go? It was granted. Um, she sat down and spoke to him and he must have found her to be very interesting and charming. He actually said, from your description, it does not seem to me to be outside of the bounds of the law, but I can't really give you any further advice than that. So she invited him to send an undercover detective to go and visit her and have her character reading. And then that undercover detective would be able to give him a better idea of whether or not what she was doing was within the bounds of the law. Okay. And this was Detective Bell? It was, yes. Okay. And so he, he came out without announcing himself? He was undercover? Yeah, he arrived there. He posed as a normal customer. He believed that she didn't recognise him as a police officer, but I think she probably did. What makes you think that? When she was doing the character reading, she mentioned to him that he had the right shaped feet to pursue criminals and that she also saw in him the ability to actually capture criminals. Okay, but maybe she really was just very good at her craft. Exactly, she might have been. And what happened as a result of that? Did Detective Bell take that report back to the Chief Commissioner? Yeah, he he paid the extra. So um, you could either have pay to have your reading um explained to you on the on the spot or you could actually pay extra money for her to type it up in a in the form of a proper report and then you could he turned up and collected that two days later he showed that to sergeant o'donnell who was the head of the detectives at the time the famous sergeant o'donnell who was involved in the police chase for the kelly gang from start to finish he was a fascinating guy um he had a read through it and he thought that it was a very accurate reading of a person that he knew quite well. I've got the, the written response from uh, the Chief Commissioner of Police, Sainsbury, which he actually sent to Madame Repra. Um, and what he said was, um, Dear Madame, in reply to your verbal query, I have to inform you that the matter in which you conduct your business is within the law. 
You may be pleased to hear the result of a test I subjected you to per medium of Detective Bell. The officer who is in charge of the detectives in submitting his report to me says, This lady seems to me to be a genius. Her deliberation of the character, disposition and peculiarities of Detective Bell are fairly correct. In this I concur, signed Alfred George Sainsbury, Chief Commissioner of Police. <laughs> it's a great letter. I am dying to know what the assessment of Bell said. There's, we don't have a record of that, do we? We don't have a record of it, but it mentioned that he was um, particularly good at chess, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I um, wonder if she assessed that by looking at his head, though, or just by asking him, do you like chess? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> it makes me wonder. <laughs> okay, and what happened, what did she do with that letter that she had from the Chief Commissioner? So he's given her a copy of that letter. What has she done with it? Well, she obviously saw it as a ringing endorsement of her business, and so she placed it proudly in the shop front window of her new shop in South Yarra. Um, until word uh, got through the grapevine to the police that there was actually a handwritten letter from the Chief Commissioner of Police in the shop front window of a character reader running a suspicious type of business, and he panicked. Okay, and what did he do? He then, and I can read you what he said in regard to that. This is a police report that I came across. Okay. When he panicked in the police report, he said, it has been reported to me that um, Madam Harper of 352 Chapel Street has exhibited in the window now a copy or extract of a communication sent her from this office some months ago, as this is not the purpose for which Madam Harper was communicated with, cause her to be notified that the document will have to be withdrawn from the view of the public at once. Actually, in response, Constable Halpin replied, I have to report that I interviewed Madame Harper, in brackets otherwise Madame Repra, on the third instant, and when requested, she at once removed the communication from the window and said that she will not exhibit it again. <laughs> but yes, she held on to it because it was going to be of some use later on. Okay, so what, then, what happened then down the track? She continued with her business without the ringing endorsement on the window, but still. Yeah. What happened later? The following year in 1915, there were two female detectives Detectives that were hired by the police, and they spent four months earning uh, two pounds a week, which was good money in those days, to actually pose as customers in um, reputed fortune-telling shops and gather evidence. And she was charged along with a whole bunch of them and brought before the court. So charged for fortune-telling? Charged for fortune-telling, yes. Mm, okay. And how did she go in court? When she arrived in court, the Chief Commissioner of Police found that he'd actually been called upon and subpoenaed to be a witness, which he was not pleased about. <laughs> and that was because she had a copy of the letter, uh -huh. um, which actually, from her viewpoint and the viewpoint of her solicitor, um, gave her an endorsement from the police for running the type of business that she was running. So she was being prosecuted for something that she'd effectively been given permission to do That's right. from the Chief Commissioner. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and what, what came out of that court case? Well, the Chief Commissioner of Police was not happy to be there. In those days, the, uh, most of the courts were run by honorary magistrates. Honorary magistrate was um, a justice of the peace who'd received a nomination from a, a member of parliament, um, which meant that they could sit as a judge in the court. And so you'd have a whole panel of judges. And I think that they were really enjoying um, having the Chief Commissioner before them and under their command. He went and sat up in the witness box and they commanded him to, to face them as a panel of judges and he refused to do so. He said, no, I'm going to face my interrogator. <laughs> um, and that caused quite a bit of um, to and fro. Right. And really, she probably should have got off scot-free after being able to produce that letter. That's right. He, he actually said, 
that he could have chosen for her not to have been charged, but then that would have caused more dr- drama. It would have seen like he was actually giving her favouritism. And he actually, um, when he testified in court, he actually said he still believes that what she was doing was not outside of the law. Yeah. And he said that you could get all the justices of the pieces and magistrates in Melbourne, hold a, a big meeting in the town hall where she addressed them all and, um, and went through all the things that she normally did and that they then could still not find her guilty of the crime that she'd been found guilty of. Okay. And she, what, copped a fine, did she? Seven pound fine. Okay. And that was a greater fine than the other fortune tellers because they, um, they said that she was earning more money. Ah. She was asking for a bigger price for her services than any of okay. the other fortune tellers. Right. So did she have to close up the shop and find a new career? She she went from there over to Western Australia again for a little while and before you know it, she's in New Zealand. Okay. And she was actually fined twice in New Zealand okay. for fortune telling. I think the second time was for character reading, which was the thing that she actually um, agreed that she did. Yeah, which was um, legitimate. Well, yeah. Sort of legitimate. Madame Repra kept working in New Zealand until 1922. She then reappeared in Sydney from 1926 to 1930, running the Repra College of Music. There she was advertising herself under her real name, Alice Harper, and promoting herself as a teacher of piano and music theory. But there's no indication of what happened to her after 1930. She may have retired, she may have moved to another country, she right. may have passed away. Okay. That's, yep. And that's the end of the story as far as we know. That's as far as I know, yeah. Her daughter by this point of time was starting to make quite a name for herself in England as a famous poet. And her name was Anna Wickham. That was her working name. Okay, wonderful. And the husband? The husband just seemed to disappear. I'm not sure. I haven't actually followed up what happened to him. But okay. they, they must have broken up. Anna Wickham actually told a tale of uh, being in quite a happy marriage until um, her uh, very angry mother arrived. She was upset that in the marriage that she'd seemed to have turned her back on her creative abilities and had become just a, a normal housewife. Right. And she was demanding the £300 investment that she put into her creative education back from her husband. Oh. <laughs> F- absolutely fuming. <laughs> So to sum her up, what do you find fascinating about Madame Repra? The thing that I find fascinating is that she was she was growing up in a world where there wasn't not a lot of freedom for females, but she forced her own niche into that world. She refused to um, bend with what was expected of females in the time. She made adaptations to make it more difficult for them to stop her um, being what she wanted to be. But she found a way to be an individual, to make her own money, to be self-dependent and to live an exciting and interesting life. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters, written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, and produced by Peter Fuller for The Herald Sun. Thank you. 
Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component oh, of that. I, I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.